there is no value to leaderboarding in any scenario, in any format, in any fashion. There is, I played it out. I've been through literally, I've coached thousands of athletes through the open, through regional, through games. There is, there is not a single scenario that it, um, it pays to do it over the long haul. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a whole lot of things that are outside of your control. Let them go. Let them go. Just focus on what is the best thing I can do. The best thing I can do to maximize my potential. My potential. My potential. Five, four, three, two, one, go. All right. Talking about the open. Um, it's early November, so a few months left to go. Um, really quick, this is, is this the time that people should start thinking about the Open? Is this like the, the okay, I'm serious about this and this is what I should do about it? Yeah, this okay. is the time to um, start thinking about it. This is not the time for I'm serious. Cool. So um, kind of both of those things. We kind of general game plan for an Open type athlete. Um, start kind of the, the thinking about it phase in September, October, um, is where we get a little more serious. November ramps up a little bit. You want to be full speed almost to where we are ready to be peaking in January, knowing that the Open doesn't start till last week of February. Here's a, one big disclaimer to this whole conversation. We don't know anything really, right? Okay. We're going off of past experiences. Yep. There's been five or six years of the Open. We're going off the trends that are building, but I'm not making predictions on what's going to happen. I'm basically saying like this kind of like, historical analysis. Right. Here's based what off, happened and we can make as best guesses. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So based off what we know, because I don't even know if it's going to be in January, right? We don't yep. know these things, but based off of what we do know and we have seen, yes, this is the time to start thinking about it. Um, getting serious, I would say no. In fact, I would say you should never be very all too serious about any of this. Right. Right. Okay. So we posted on um, your Instagram and our Facebook page asking for some questions. We got some really good ones. Um, one that was sort of, we saw a few different times and different versions was um, a version of how do I fit um, the open workouts into a normal training week or training cycle or training month? Where, where do like are they are they super special? And I rest two days before to make sure I hit it. Is it okay? It's just Thursday and I do it on Thursday, or Thursday and Sunday. Anything like? Yep. Where do you how do you how do you think about that? So again, based off of traditionally them get they get announced on Thursday evenings yes scores have to be submitted by Monday morning Monday evening so going off of that trend assuming it's the same how you set those things up in your training schedule determines a little bit about what you want to get out of the open if you're the type of person that is the open is your season it's your you're trying to go to the regionals and or you're a masters athlete trying to break in the top 200 and or it's something that you put a lot of value on and you feel like you're training the whole year for the open Let's assume that's the case because I think that is probably the majority mm-hmm. of our listeners. In that scenario, it's we're we're not doing normal training weeks during the open. It's our competition. Yep. Much like the and in an NFL season, you're going to have um, it's not going to be like preseason where you're kind of going really hard every day. There is no end in sight until the season starts. What we're doing here is we're truly going to be setting you up for the best success that week. Mm-hmm. What it looks like is. 
assuming it's the same, announcements on Thursday nights, most of our athletes do some sort of a walkthrough. We call it a walkthrough on Thursdays. We don't know what the movements are going to be. So we do very generic, just blood flow type stuff. Mm. It and might, that's on Thursday. That's this the day is of the on the Thursday day of the announcement. This is because most of our athletes don't like to come off of rest days. Most of our athletes like gotcha. to move the day before, be in the gym, feel like they're psychosomatically, they feel like they're fitter yep. on Friday mornings if they were in the gym on Thursdays. Gotcha. But it's nothing to create any sort of soreness. It's not even heavy breathing. It's just moving about. Think of it like as an active recovery day. Mm. Might look like something like um, an EMOM 12 to 16 of a 12 calorie row and um, a modified round of Cindy on the other minutes. Maybe mm-hmm. like three pull ups, six push ups, mm-hmm. nine squats. So you're not trying to even predict what movements might come up. Not it doesn't, at all. doesn't matter We're, what we've seen or what, what you think might show up. Or we might be doing that in the rest of the week. On yep. Thursdays, no. Yep. Um, and what you, I, what you might end up doing is if you're predicting, you might be training it and it might be, it, it might be a hindrance more than anything else. Gotcha. On Fridays, we hit the workout and we hit it as hard as we possibly can, assuming you're not going to do the workout again. That's the mindset you should have. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it one and done. Now, if this is your competition, this is your Super Bowl, this is your year, you don't want to do it one and done. But mm-hmm. that's the mindset you need to have. You mm-hmm. can't go in it with the idea of like, well, if this doesn't go well, I'll redo it on Sunday or Monday. Yeah. You got to go. You can't give yourself the out. Got to go guns yeah. a blazing. Plan B is a plan to fail. Then from there, we hit it. We hit everything you have on Friday. There's nothing else on Friday. You don't do anything else. Saturday becomes an active recovery day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sunday becomes a skills and drills day if it's applicable. Maybe it's bar muscle-ups and you haven't been training those a lot. Sunday's a day that you could try to hone in a little bit better bar muscle-ups. Gotcha. Monday, we attack it again. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is a rest day. Wednesday is the on day that week. That's the day, if we're in football, that'd be the practice in full pads. Yep. You're only doing one day a week of it to yep. maintain your fitness. Um, Thursday, we're back into that same cycle. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, second question comes from uh, on Instagram at Z Mahmoud Tarek. Um, Is it better to divide training into phases of strength as the open approaches, then transfer it, uh, transfer to intensity, or better to balance both throughout overall training? And I assume that overall the year or whatever you want to. Right. Yeah. So um, we're talking about different cycles, periodization, yeah. meso and macro cycles, all that stuff. Um, we played with a lot of this. We played with. Um, Purely, let's develop an, an even base across the year, all year long, not biasing anything. Um, and we flipped it the other way. And we've d- spent years where we truly did more of a like Russian periodization type program. And traditional sports science would tell us how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a blend between the two that works the best. If I had to choose one, we saw way more success with maintaining the balance across the years. So not periodizing, mm-hmm. keeping conditioning up and skills up and strength up throughout the year and trying to slowly build them up rather than let's spend the fall getting really strong and the early part of the winter getting really fit. What we see is if you do that seesaw effect, by the time you get your fitness back up, your strength is back to where it was beforehand. Yep. Much better to take a little bit better, slower approach with it all going up now. What we do is we do a little biasing towards it. It's not periodization, but we do, we're always, 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 I am not going to allow my fitness to slide mm-hmm. to, to compensate for greater f- strength gains. But we do put a little more emphasis on strength in the early part of the season. 
So we'll do three when, days. When do you, cons- what is the early part of the season? Like? Yeah, good question. Um, the fall. Fall, okay. Yep. So if you think about it in terms of like our games athletes, that's what we kind of go with. Yep. It goes, um, the off season is August um, into the first two weeks of September. Mm-hmm. The early season is essentially the fall, October, November, into the early part of December. Yep. The the ramp up um, is kind of that January through the open, and then we're into the meat of it with our real athletes training for the regionals. Gotcha. I say real, oh, they're all real athletes yeah. with my games athletes. Um, um, lost it. Where were we on the the early part of the season? Um, oh, the strength biasing stuff. Yes. What we'll do in the early part of the season is three days a week of strength training. Mm-hmm. We'll do three days a week dedicated to traditional Olympic lifting, get strong squat. Let's do low rep, um, high weight, clean jerk, snatch, that type of stuff. As we get into the middle of the season, that becomes two days. Mm-hmm. And as we're ramping up for regionals and definitely for the games, that's only we're only doing one day a week of dedicated barbell training. The mm-hmm. rest of it is fitness because that's what they're testing for. Yep. So as you get closer to the open, it sh- we should have that biasing towards it, but it's never pure, let's let our fitness suffer for the barbell. Gotcha. Nothing should suffer ever. Everything should always be climbing. Mm-hmm. That constant ready state, essentially. Right, right, right. Um, that kind of feeds into the third question we've got from, again, uh, Instagram, at Banning Ballard. His question is, last year's open moved away from 1RM lifts and shifted toward, uh, more toward raw aerobic capacity. Do you see that trend holding for 2017? I do see it continuing. Yeah. I don't think they, um, and this is me guessing it's hypo, you know, I don't know this, um, but I don't think that the 1RM test inside of the five open tests, um, that year they had six because yep. it was 1A and 1B with the 1RMX clean and jerk after that first uh, toe to bar deadlift AMRAP. I don't believe that that dictated the results they were looking for. I think it weighed too heavily towards the strength athletes. You mean that the athletes who got through weren't the correct the athletes? They, they it had to too through. much emphasis on the outcome of the results, yep. where you're weighing essentially a little less than twenty percent of the overall scoring based off of that one lift. Yep. I just don't think that that's what they're looking for. I don't think it tests enough things for them. Mm-hmm. Secondly, there's so many ties. Mm. And they don't love ties. Yep. When I say them, I'm talking about CrossFit right. headquarters, Dave right. Castro, whoever you want to say yep. them is. So I do see, I think that the better test is what they had last year. I thought last year was one of the better opens in terms of what they were testing. Mm-hmm. Um, logistically, it was a little bit of a nightmare for the, for the affiliates. affiliates yeah. um, but in terms of the overall test, I was a big fan of it. Do you think that, not to, not to interrupt, but do you think that they're always, do you think that over the course of the open, they've been trying to refine the athlete, the the athlete, or the idea of the athlete who gets through it, or do you think every year they're trying to test for something else, or test to get another kind of athlete through, or like, or is this like a a, a small like iteration or an evolution every year? Like they're getting closer to what they think is the is the right answer is like the whatever yeah, it is. I think that for. they have a picture of who they want to get through. Okay. I do, um, but that doesn't and, change every year. That's that's not like right. oh, this year we want to we want. Correct. Whatever. Yeah, we don't want the big athletes this yeah. year and then the gymnastic right. athletes this year. Yeah. I think they have an idea of who they want to get through, and those are the fittest. Right. And they're trying to test for the fittest. Now, what they're not testing for is the fittest. Mm-hmm. There's huge limitations to the open, and it's very obvious if you've looked at it for a little bit. They can't 
test for the world's fittest during the Open. Mm-hmm. It's a reason that Matt Fraser and Catherine Davidar didn't win last year. They're the world's fittest, but they didn't win the Open. Mm-hmm. What they're truly testing for in the Open, and this is a big thing that I think is missed, is generally it's work capacity. Mm-hmm. It's who can do the most work in those time domains, right? And it's it's an incredible test for that, but it's not super high skill. Mm-hmm. There's no odd objects. There's no horizontal displacement, meaning farmers carry yep. sled pushes, things like that. They can't do rope climbs. They haven't, you know, there's a, a whole host of parameters that they've self-imposed themselves yep. into that they can't test for. Yep. So when we're training for the open, if you're an athlete, or I should say to the community that we're talking to, if you're an athlete that's looking to get through the open or excel in the open, find out what they're testing. And it's not as unknown as unknow- and unknowable as we think it is. Historical data shows us there's about 15 movements that they're testing. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot. Right. You know, it's, it's five more than decathlon. Decathlon mm-hmm. just, it's, it's an event. Mm-hmm. You know, we can figure this out. There's only been, there's, in terms of pull-ups, there's only been one. It's chest bar pull-ups. Mm-hmm. In terms of handstand push-ups, there's only been one. It's kipping handstand push-ups. Mm-hmm. In terms of barbell, there's only about five different barbell movements that they're doing. There's not this huge, vast array of things that they're doing. Now, my guess is every year they throw in one or two new ones. It's yep. always been one. Last year, there was two. Yep. Year before, a couple years ago, it was rowing. Last year, it was the overhead um, walking lunge yep. and the bar muscle-ups. My suggestion is don't get caught up in guessing what the next movement's going to be. Just try to get really fit at those 15. Mm-hmm. Let your fitness carry over the others, because it will. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to excel at the ones that do come up. There's also known ones that we know are not going to come up, right? Every year I say this and they end up showing up. <laughs> but I don't think we're going to see you know, athletes that are working their tail off to try to get to regionals, but have never been there spend an enormous amount of time doing rope climbs. Mm-hmm. It's not in the, it's not one of the repertoires. Now, maybe they give it to us and they maybe they give it to us with a 10 foot rope climb, but I think it's hard for them to standardize the other stuff, right? The people that do um, D-ball stuff and prowler pushes, great tests of fitness, great developers of fitness, but it's not where we're being tested in. The, yeah. What we want is it's a strength and conditioning principle. It's like one of the things that should not be broken is the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demands. Train what you're going to be tested in. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, if we know that we're going to be tested in a 800 meter swim, it doesn't make sense to do a whole bunch of surfing. Mm-hmm. Like, go swim. Right. It's probably so 800 meters. If I'm if I'm if I'm very if I'm serious about the open and I think I've got a shot at regionals, do I just not do rope climbs for? January and February do like, how yep. do you balance? Because at some point you're, you're training specifically for the open. Yep. Is that good? Is that right? Is that is depends there like on, a 80, 20 sort of yeah, analysis um, you've got to do? Yep, it's 80, 20. It depends. So an example of that, um, let me take, I'll try and take three examples to show that when I'm working with Katrin, we don't train for the open at all. It's not even on our radar. Yep. We don't even really train for the regionals. You know, maybe that's, overconfidence on our part, which we train for the games. We train for the tests that we're going to see at the games mm-hmm. year round, yep. knowing we don't need to peak out for the regionals or the opens because we don't need to win those. Mm-hmm. We certainly need to be fit enough to pass through, but Ben Smith, when he was fittest on earth, didn't win his region. No one remembers that. It doesn't matter what place you come in your region. You just got to get, you just got to, it's a pass fail thing. Yep. It's not first, second, third, fourth. 
It's the same thing for the Open, for athletes that are trying to get through the Open to the regionals. If you feel confident you can make it through, then yeah, let's start let's start dabbling into the next test, mm-hmm. which will be rope climbs and the other stuff, um, you know, like ski ergs and bikes and the other stuff. But if you're not confident you're going to make it through, you can use the other stuff as that kind of auxiliary you know, work mm-hmm. as accessory type stuff that you think might have some transference or working weaknesses. There's a lot to be said for holds and carries and working your midline. We're not gonna be tested on midline and holds, mm-hmm. but they can have a big carry over to your fitness. If you're doing it because you believe it'll be a carry over to your fitness, that's a terrific approach. Mm-hmm. If you believe that you're doing it because you want to get the third wave adaptation, which means that you're trying to get very good at that movement, I think you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get really good at the nuancey um, parts of um, zip lining down, hands free yep. down a rope. That's not gonna get you fitter at the open. That's yep. gonna get you fitter at the at ropes. Yep, gotcha. Um, over the course of, you know, what is this the sixth year of the open coming up? Sixth or seventh? I forget. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Around there. What? Where have you seen like the most bang for for people's bucks in terms of the the actual perf- like performance day of performance? Okay. Anything from like make sure you do it with people who are better than you. Like anything that you see that you've seen that really moves the needle in any way. Sort of day of um, any kind of advice along those lines. Hmm. Um. Everyone's a little bit different. So I can't say, you know, pump up. Oh, I thought I turned that off. My bad. It's terrible. <laughs> I can't say it's, you know, a matter of pumping up the music real loud and, you know, doing it with better people yep. or everyone's going to thrive in different environments. Yep. I will say that um, structuring your week so it's set up the way that you want to and training at an optimal time of day mm. usually matters. Um, and that changes for everybody too, right? Yeah. And, but it's also like, there's a lot of people that work out in the morning every single day, Mm -hmm. but if you give them a a 10 in the morning, like the 5am class, right? The 5am class at your gym, if you give them a, they're used to that, but if you give them a nine o'clock start, their central nervous system might be a little more awake. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily what you've done in the past. It's what's the optimal for you in Mm -hmm. terms of the time of day. And that kind of goes through a lot of those different external factors. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly a number of different things that you can do to maximize as well from, you know, your mindset approach to, um, the way you're setting your gym up, you know, in terms of transitions and all the rest, I would say that, you know, with all those little things, I would say the thing that moves the needle for people the most is before you start your first attempt at it. I'm going to give two things before you start the first, your, like the first full yeah, go through. So the, Friday morning yep. when you're going through this thing or Friday, when you go through the first one, yep. do one round for real, but stop after one round, mm-hmm. time it and figure it out. So an example, figure out that, like what you should be aiming was, for. Was that the right pace? Gotcha. So here's, so the first workout last year was um, burpees over the bar, the walking lunges, the pull-ups, and then the walking lunges again, mm-hmm. right? There was, um, burpees on one end um, and the chest bar pulls on the other. You need to walk and lunge between the two. The average time of those Thursday night performers, I forget who it was, but the, the games athletes that did that, mm-hmm. they did phenomenal scores, right? And most of the people we're talking to are not going to beat those people, those games athletes. Yep. Their average split time, if you try and figure that out, 
you know, was somewhere probably around the 49 to, you know, let's call it 50 seconds. But when a lot of athletes go out for their first round of that workout, they get that first round done in 33 seconds. They're beating games athletes by 17 seconds. Right. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. My suggestion is do a round, time it out, and figure out, are you starting way too fast? There's this misconception that I got to make up time where I can make up time. So like while I'm freshest is when I should go the fastest. While I'm freshest, I got to go fast. Here's the deal is there's this exercise science thing called your lactic threshold. Mm -hmm. Your lactic threshold is your maximal sustainable pace. Every second that you spend above lactic threshold, you're going to have an exponential negative effect later on. Mm -hmm. So if you spend 10 seconds above lactic threshold in the first five minutes of the workout, that means in the second five minutes of the workout, you're going to have somewhere around 30 seconds slower. Add those two numbers together, find the difference between the Mm -hmm. two, and you have a 20-second slower workout than Mm -hmm. you should because you went faster while you could. Right. So my suggestion is time out that first round. Take an educated guesstimation of what you think your score is going to be and see where that is relative to how fast you went. Mm -hmm. And then probably slow down that first round. An example I'll give that is Matt Fraser did um, 15.16. 16.1. Yep. The year. <laughs> 16.1 at our gym. He did it with Katrin and we timed out his first round to figure out what it was. We knew he wanted to be somewhere around the 35 to 37 seconds per round. Mm-hmm. He did his first round practice as slow as he could and end up being about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Instead of him coming up and turning to me and being like, I can go faster. This is good. I'm going to kill this workout. I'm going to get first place in this. He turned to me and said, I got to figure out a way to go slower. Mm-hmm. So we found, we figured out a way of where he could pace it out more. How can he go slower mm-hmm. in the first two rounds? Not, we have a chance to make up time here. Right, right. The other example that I love from that that you talk about is Brooke Wells' um, double DT? Yeah, uh, the T- heavy DT. Heavy DT, a couple yep, years So it's ago. cool, the heavy DT versus, now we have a, a reference point yep. after me kind of working with her for a little bit. Um, so two years ago at the games, she did uh, the heavy DT and her first round in that, uh, it was five rounds. Mm-hmm. Her first round took 57 seconds. Well, her fourth round took three minutes and three seconds. Yeah. If there's a perfect three times longer yep. to do the fourth round, the first round. That's an insane drop off. Yeah. That is her, she literally could have done every single rep, including the jerks as singles and still finished it in under two minutes. Mm-hmm. That's a, she could have done singles and still had a sandwich. Mm-hmm. It's so slow, <laughs> right? I, I wasn't working with her at the time, but I yeah. did a meet with her. I talked to her yeah. a little bit about that. Um, and the next, this past, past year, year. Yep. she did, um, we did, did a double DT, same amount of work, essentially, mm-hmm. same time domains. Mm-hmm. And she was able to, in a workout that didn't suit her as well, it was a lighter barbell, more stamina, more endurance, less strength. So theoretically, she should have done worse. Yep. But she paced it, tried to do the first round as slow as she could. If you watch it, it was on the games yep. last weekend. Yep. She's not even on the radar for the first three three rounds. The last round she comes, in the last round, she moves from about seventh place in her heat up to second, only got beat by Katrin and came in second place overall, mm-hmm. where in the, um, the previous year, she came in seventh place overall. She moves up five places in a workout that didn't suit her as well because she paced it better. So that brings up, it brings up kind of a, a big conversation, but but about 
not only pacing, but about having confidence in mm. the plan going in. And that's that I think is appropriate for uh, talking about the open, because I think a lot of people go in with a sense of this is what I can do. This is what I want to aim for. This is where I think I'm capable. And then three, two, one, go happens and the music turns up and everybody starts moving. And yeah, everybody explodes. Throw it out of the window. Is that just a, is that like, what is it that makes, what is it that allowed Brooke or allowed Matt in that case, but really anybody say, okay, everybody's going to take off like a, like a bat out of hell, but I'm not going to. And it's okay that I'm not in first or that I'm the last one to get to the bar. You know, that's like, is that just, is that just maturity is like, what is it that allows some athletes to do that and other athletes throw it out the window? Yeah, it's maturity. Yeah. Yep. It's it's what we call competitive excellence. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's that's what it is. It's you running your best race and being able to put the blinders on. So it's just kind of like this really nice um, halfway point between putting the blinders on and not looking at everybody else, yet still taking the excitement and the adrenaline of game day and being able to perform beyond the capabilities that you normally would in a regular training day. Mm-hmm. So what most people do is three, two, one, go, and they get this surge of adrenaline. It's normal, human nature, you're going to get that surge of adrenaline. And they take that and they're like, I feel good. <laughs> I feel so good, I feel so strong. And they go guns a blazing, cause they, they're like, my taper worked, I'm fitter this year, <laughs> right. right? This is my workout, this is my wheelhouse. My pre-workout's kicking yeah, in. <laughs> my exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> my pre-workout. You know, and, uh, and then by the 45 seconds to, and I don't know where it is, but it's different for everybody. It's somewhere between that, 35 second mark. And if you've done a 500 meter row, you know yep. what this feels like. It's at 35 second mark to the three minute mark, somewhere in there that you have that uh-oh moment, mm-hmm. right? Where it goes away. The mature athletes know that that surge of adrenaline is going to happen. They know that they can perform above their capabilities, yet they save that until they need it. Mm-hmm. They don't use it all up when it's, it's going to be gone. Yeah. It's just, it's maturity and experience. Mm-hmm. But I, I love to say experience is enough. It's not. Yeah. You have to be aware of it. Because there's a lot of people at the, even at the games level that have been there for three or four years that are still doing this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm giving away a little bit. <laughs> the secret sauce? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's end it yeah. there. Um, last question. <laughs> um, leaderboarding. It's a, a common pastime during the Open. A lot of people love it. Um, any value whatsoever from a from a competitive um, point of view, f- to to pay attention to what's happening on the leaderboard, allowing that to dictate whether I do it again, uh, dictating when I post my score. Like, is there any value in that, or is it go in, hit the workout as if you're not going to do it again, post a score, move on to the next week? Um, there is no value to leaderboarding. In any scenario, in any format, in any fashion, there is. I played it out. I've been through. Literally, I've coached thousands of athletes through the Open, through regional, through games. There is there is not a single scenario that it um, it pays to do it over the long haul. Mm-hmm. In the short term, the only scenario I can possibly um, think about is if you are. Um, that 21st athlete and they take the top 20 and it's um you know you have it's five minutes before the close of the last workout Mm -hmm. 
and you why not go and right. do it again and throw down and try and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Besides that, leaderboarding is always more of a negative than a positive because you're trying to compare to others rather than to your best effort what's in under your control. Mm-hmm. We call it the commitment to the process. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are committed to the process, you're going to get your best score. You stick within the framework of Fridays and Mondays and then the process between the weeks, that's going to maximize your ability across the five weeks of the open. Mm-hmm. If you derail yourself from that, you're derailing yourself from that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't let the leaderboard dictate what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just you and your best. Let's leave it there. Cool. Thank you. Love it. <laughs>